When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Welcome to the Inside the Oval podcast presented by Dignity Health. I'm Haley Jones. And I'm Patty Kwan. And today we are joined by Partnerships Sales Manager, Nate Rosella. Nate, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me. Honored to be here. This is going to be a lot of fun. To start, what are your job responsibilities as a manager of partnership sales for the 49ers? Yeah, um, I would say that I engage and reach out to companies that want to utilize the 49ers as a marketing platform to solve numerous uh, business objectives, right? Whether that is through, I guess in layman's terms, like sponsorship, right? Like it could be very cut and dry like that, where we're trying to put their logo like on a sign. But, you know, we say partnerships because we think that it's a little bit more integrated than that, where... For example, like SAP, yes, they have a ton of signage in our building right now, but we also utilize their software throughout all of our business object or our business operations and, and things like that. Since you've started working in partnerships, do you tend to find that like partners that you've signed or you work with a lot, like you actually are using their products, like you have a brand affinity? I try to, honestly. I'm drinking an Aquafina right now. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, I try to wear Levi's whenever I can. Uh, I think that's like the only pair of jeans I really like wear. But yeah, definitely have an affinity to those brands. And it, it works both ways too, right? Because in my position, I get told no a lot. And if a certain brand tells me no, they probably lost a customer of that product <laughs> for like at least six months to a year. That's actually a good, leads me to a good question is just, how do you handle rejection? Yeah, no, that's a great question because our, or at least my role is very, very different than what would be like a traditional seller, right? Um, like even in tech sales or like ticket sales, right? You're expected to sell a certain amount in a certain quarter, right? Which is three months. For us, a partnership typically could take anywhere from six to nine months, could be a year, could be two years it's not a lot of like deals that are getting done, right? A ticket seller might be required to sell 10 season tickets in a certain in a certain week. We would be lucky to get anywhere from four to five in a year. So there's a lot of small things that you have to just count as like wins throughout the week, right? Whether it's a really good outreach email that you sent out that got a really good reaction and got a meeting, right? Or you know, you did really well on a pitch in terms of trying to tie in your storytelling with how we align with X brand and how they align with us, right? So definitely have to get really granular to find those small ones because for every, you know, 100 emails, I'm probably getting, you know, five replies. And out of those five replies, maybe there are, you know, 
one to two meetings that come out of it. So it's a very kind of volume-based thing from that standpoint. You have experience in a, it also in partnership services. How do partnership sales and services differ? Yeah, so uh, we actually call it activation now. Um, but partnership activation is essentially they execute everything that is sold within a partnership deal. So in my role now, I go find an X company. They agree to do a, a partnership with us. I then work with an activation manager to make sure that everything that I sold to them is getting executed. So they're really like the boots on the ground and the one that kind of ties not only that certain partner uh, together with us, but also internal departments, if that makes sense, right? So uh, our activation team is consistently reaching out to stadium ops, marketing, community relations to try to get everyone on board to get this certain you know, at marketing asset or activation kind of executed and done. Um, and also in the activation world, um, presents an opportunity for either upsells, so additional things that could be sold to them in the deals, or uh, renewals, right? So if a certain contract is up after, let's say, three years, it's pretty much on the activation manager to, to lead those conversations in terms of bringing on them on for another three years or five years or whatever, right? So I would say it's a very different in a sense that, you know, as I talked about reaching out and uh, to like a hundred companies and, you know, getting like five replies, it's kind of the opposite in the partnerships uh, activation world because they're getting emails from not only their current partners, but they're getting emails internally and they're getting pushed and pulled in different directions, right? Because they want to look out for the best interest of the partner, but they also want to look out for the best interest of our team, or in this case, the Oval, right? And protecting the Oval and making sure that everything that marketing is doing, everything that Stadium Ops is doing, everything that Community Relations is doing and their goals are still aligning with uh, those activations that the partner wants to do, right? Can you take us through your path to the 49ers? Oh man, I mean, how much time we got? Because it's gonna be, <laughs> it's gonna be a long one. As long one. as you need. Okay. Well, I, I feel like I have to start from the beginning, mainly because it's kind of like a butterfly effect. Because if something, if if X experience didn't happen, then I wouldn't be sitting here on this podcast right now, right? So, I was in college. I think it was my junior year. Um, I was looking for a sports internship and I got one, like one of my best friends, Anthony, he sent me a job description for an internship with Warriors. It was just a traditional like marketing game day internship. You would be passing out bobbleheads and stuff like that. Uh, but for me growing up and playing basketball and like loving the Warriors, that was like the team I wanted to work for. And this was, I think, yeah, it was like 2012. So it was the last time the NBA was on a lockout. So that, that season, it didn't start until December. And I think I got the job description in like October or November, right? So um, they obviously needed to hire a lot of interns really fast. So I remember seeing the job description, I applied, I got called in, group interview, and it was with the marketing manager, Erica Butler. And she um, literally asked all of us, I, there must've been like five of us in the room. She asked all of us one question, we were done with the interview and then 
we uh we left and i think like three hours later we got the email saying that we got the position so i was, I was psyched it was like my my dream job right and i was like my dream team i was like man i'm really going to like just ride this out and eventually get a full-time job because that's how i thought internships worked right but i remember going through that season i was a little starstruck because of just the prestige behind of working for your favorite team and everything and i was just like not really showing up on time i didn't really stay late i wasn't really networking with anyone on the business team outside of erica and like my kind of like intern cohort so i just went through that season and i was just thinking like all right i i got it made i'm gonna you know um i'm eventually gonna get this full-time job which is very uncharacteristic of me um but again i think it was just that being at Oracle Arena, all those games, I was just like, I got it. So fast forward through the season, uh, off season comes up and we get an email, like all the interns get an email saying that Erica is moving down to Santa Cruz to work for the Santa Cruz Warriors and be the director of marketing uh, for, the, for the first season. So they also said that all the interns from last season would have to re-interview. Um, for, for the upcoming season, right? So I was just like, okay, kind of sucks, but I'll just go ahead and, and uh, you know, go in there and try to kill it again, even though like the previous interview was one question. <laughs> so I remember I showed up to Oakland probably about 25 minutes before I was scheduled for the interview and I had a bunch of notes on my phone and I was just reading it. And um, I had a coffee in my hand. It was a, Phil's, a cup of Phil's coffee in my car. And uh, as I take a sip, I notice that like I spilled a good amount like on the, on the right side of my shirt, and I wasn't wearing a suit, right? I was too poor to like afford a suit, so I was wearing like a, just a shirt and a tie, and I started freaking out, right? By this time, it's like 20 minutes before the interview, and I'm like, I have to go somewhere and find a jacket or something like that. So I found a tailor that was like down the street from the uh, the offices where the Warriors used to be. I run in there, I'm like sweating. And I'm like, there's this old lady at the front. And I'm like, I will give you my wallet and my phone right now. I just need a jacket for this interview. They're like, can you please help me out? And she just told me no. And by that time, I, it was, you know, maybe 10, five minutes before the interview. And I was like, okay, I just have to go in there and like rock with it. But obviously it like, it, it like messed me up in my head, right? So I go in, sit at the interview, same setting as before but obviously different people that are running the interview. There's three people on the panel now. Um, in terms of the group interview, there was like five others that like I worked with in the previous season. And I could just tell right away that it was very different than the previous year in terms of those interview questions because they actually asked us questions, pointed at us to answer certain questions. And I was just not in the right mindset. And I remember walking out of uh, that office and I was just like, I'm not gonna get this, like, this sucks, right? Like, this was the team I wanted to work for and everything. And lo and behold, like, after that weekend, I got the uh, rejection email from someone in the HR department. And uh, I was just like, you know what? I, th maybe there's a way I could say this. So I came up with this response and I was like, hey, like, thank you so much for, uh, you know, the consideration for my own personal development. I would love to learn like two to three things that I could essentially go out and work on. So for the next time or for the next season, I could be in a, in a better spot for consideration. 
and I'm not trying to trash like the Warriors like organization or anything, or even the person that like I was, you know, respond uh, sending this email to because he was just an HR generalist, like wasn't really a part of the process and everything like that. But I didn't get a response, and that was like really, like kind of devastating, right? So I kind of went into fight or flight mode because I was entering my senior year of college. I really still wanted to work in sports, so I was like, okay, what do I got to do? So I started going on Teamwork Online, started to, I was literally on there like every day, just trying to apply to everything. And then I got this idea of like, you know, semester started, taking some business classes. Why don't I reach out to Erica, my first manager, and see what she's up to in Santa Cruz and like how that whole thing's going on. So I reached out to Erica and I actually made up a fake assignment and said, hey, like I have to do like an informational interview for this class. Can you like be the person that like, you know, I interview because I really want to get in this field. And she was like, yeah, totally. So uh, God bless her. Like she was like, meet me here in like Santa Cruz. Uh, we'll get lunch um, and then we could just chop it up. So I got, brought my notebook, talked to her at the end of the whole thing. I was like, look, they didn't bring me back on. Like, let me know how I could help. Like there seems like a lot of things that are, that is uh, a lot of good things that is happening down in Santa Cruz right now. So would love to be a part of it. And uh Fast forward a little bit, you know, eventually Erica hires me on to be her like lead intern at the Santa Cruz Warriors. So that was a, an awesome experience to do so, uh, just working in minor league sports, especially with a team that, you know, really was just starting in Santa Cruz just right from the, the get-go. I think they put up the arena in like 90 days or something like that. It was, it was crazy fast. It, it exposed me to the world of sponsorship. It exposed me to just the the hustle that you had to have in the world of sports and like the many hats that you have to wear, right? So I ended up doing that up until about graduation. And then there are a few other internships that I try to go out there and, um, and uh, apply for. There was one internship for the America's Cup, one internship for the San Jose Sharks, and one internship for the San Francisco 49ers. So I applied for all three of those at the same time. And they were all in corporate partnerships because I decided when I was working at Santa Cruz, I really wanted to get involved in corporate partnerships. I saw how, how many things were sponsored at Santa Cruz and how vital it was, especially for a minor league team to have that funding come from external companies to help them do some, some really cool stuff in the community. Right. So that was just like really attractive to me. So I applied to all three. America's Cup moves the fastest. And if you don't know what America's Cup is, it was like a sailing competition that they did in the San Francisco Bay. I think it was there here for a couple of years. It was kind of like, you know, the World Cup of sailing, right? And it was a it was a really cool opportunity. It was gonna be paid. I think it was gonna be, you know, fifteen dollars an hour, which was a lot at that time in like twenty thirteen. And I would have been like pretty much just working like full time. San Jose Sharks got back to me fairly quickly as well, and I went through that process. And it, that was unpaid. It was, I think, 20 to 25 hours a week. But it was essentially team sports. It was what I wanted to do, right? So I remember being at you know, San Jose State's graduation, and we're on the field, like, in all of our departments, and I see my advisor, like, on the field, and I, like, run up to her as the ceremony's going on. and like, hey, I need to talk to you because I have two offers right now with the America's Cup and the San Jose Sharks. I don't know which one to take, right? And I, I laid it out, like, one's paid, one's not, you know, more hours here, but, like, this is team sports, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, you should just do the Sharks thing. 
And I was like, okay, it's great, but like I'm about to, gra- I'm literally graduating right now. I'm going into an internship that doesn't pay me any money. I'm still going to have to work my restaurant job. But, you know, it was a sacrifice I was willing to take, right? So I'm doing like the, the, I ended up taking the, the San Jose Sharks job. And I think in month two of my Sharks internship, I end up getting a call from the partnerships department here at the Niners. And I go through that process and eventually went out that process and I had to tell the Sharks, you know, um, that I had to leave, but the Niners internship was paid. I didn't have to work the, the restaurant job anymore. And that kind of, you know, snowballed into me getting a, a full-time job, right? I think I was doing my Niners internship for about five months and then they decided to make a full-time position for me, um, the, being the first coordinator for the department um, as we opened up like Levi Stadium. So again, super long in terms of like that journey, but like I think there are a lot of things there that you know don't necessarily happen uh, or like, again, my seat, me being here doesn't necessarily happen if, you know, stuff with the Warriors, like, turned out the way it did, right? Like, that was really a big life lesson for me in terms of, like, hey, I can't go into any team, any role, thinking that I just have it. Like, it's going to get taken away from me at any time. You've done two stints with the 49ers, and between one was the Timberwolves. Is there a difference in partnership sales between the NBA and NFL? Yeah, so there's a there's a couple different things with the NBA, right? So one in terms of selling partnership sales or sell, selling partnerships for the NBA, the big differentiator between them and our league is that the NBA has TV visible signage. So the next time you will watch an NBA game, you'll be able to see different advertisements like on the court or like in that back uh, table where the players substitute in or even on the basket, right? And those are brands that the local team sells. So they that brand could get exposure not only in that market, they get exposure for all the other markets that they play against for that, uh, for that night, right? So let's take the Warriors, for example. Uh, if the Warriors are playing the Minnesota Timberwolves um, at, you know, Chase Center, all that signage that's down on the court is going to be seen in the Minnesota market. So it's kind of like more of a global type thing. Whereas in the NFL, we don't really have TV visible signage like that. That's, you know, dedicated to trying to get on TV. The NFL at a league level kind of controls all that. Um, I will say also the NBA has gotten a jump start in terms of the international marketing rights for teams as opposed to the NFL. Um, we've known for a while that the NBA is, is really big in China, like the Philippines are doing some great stuff in India now. They're much more known global game as opposed to the NFL right now. But I do think that the NFL is starting to trend in that direction. We saw all the great stuff that they did in Germany this past year. Like obviously all the stuff that you all did for, for us in Mexico you know, it's definitely starting to pick up on that side, right? But on the flip side, in terms of like the advantages that the NFL has, like football is king in this country, right? Like there is no other sport that has the amount of eyeballs, the amount of affinity, the amount of like recognition than the NFL. Uh, it really does feel more so like a like a bigger event for any for every NFL game as opposed to 
maybe a Tuesday night, um, you know, in, in an arena and for basketball. I didn't know this until this year, um, but we watch a lot of NHL hockey in my house. And I didn't realize that in hockey, like the broadcasts will change the partners that are visible mm-hmm. in certain markets. Mm-hmm. So the virtual signage thing is, is fairly new uh, to the world of sports right now. And I think it picked up as COVID happened. I think the NBA started doing it first with like when, when all the teams were in the bubble. So there's technology now that does switch out, you know, brands by quarter. Or it could be, you know, in, uh, in hockey's case, maybe by like a couple minutes. It's really fascinating. Unfortunately, we don't have anything like that in the NFL yet. But, you know, it, I think there would be a huge benefit if we were to go to that certain uh, model going forward. I do know. I think there have been complaints about like the viewer experience because it's kind of distracting seeing something change like that when you're trying to watch the game. I am curious as a partnerships guy and as like a consumer of products, do you ever think like, oh, that's too much or like when you see social copy that's like this, this and this presented by X. Yeah, there's definitely a a fine line and there's you have to find that happy medium of something that you know is definitely partnered but not necessarily like the door of a NASCAR car. Like, you know? Um and that's nothing against like NASCAR or anything like that, but like there are times where it could kind of feel like that and it feels really forced. Like for me personally, like Alignment is huge for me whenever I try to reach out to a new company. Um, and if there is a certain you know, platform or video series that our team is doing, I'm going to try to reach out to brands that could fit that platform. And essentially, like, the messaging will kind of tie in together with that, with, with that certain, again, video series, right? So there is, like... A happy medium you don't want to you know it's i want to say like some certain bowl games have started doing that like college football bowl games where it's just like x brand you know uh texas bowl presented by x brand and then they there's other associate partners like under that too right but at the same time you know there is a lot of funding that comes from these brands and to help with the success of certain events and activations that are that are needed, so I understand both sides for sure. Uh, but there is that that happy medium. I think on the fan experience side, I definitely don't want it to feel more so like a you know like a magazine ad or a mag like you know you open up magazines now. There's sometimes back to back pages that are just magazine ads and not necessarily content because content has to be the king in terms of like what we do. Mm-hmm. On that, we talked about NHL doing virtual signage, NBA having uh, like tele like um, signage around the court so you can see it on TV. Soccer has uh, partnerships on their kits. If you could bring one thing over from another sport that you could actually sell in the NFL that you can't now, is there anything that comes to mind? Yeah, uh, first thing is jersey patch. Um, I was there at the first 
like a kind of in the introductory process of the Jersey patch with uh, Fitbit and the Minnesota Timberwolves and, you know, to the consumer, like a patch might seem like branding on a Jersey, but I think there's a lot more meaning behind that in terms of like trying to tie that to overall brand objectives or business objectives and the things that come along with the patch, right? It's not just that signage, but there's a lot of underlying things that go behind that. Like for example, for, for Fitbit, there was a number of activations and conversations around how do we get players to actively wear Fitbits, um, you know, whether they're practicing or whether they're, tra- they're training. We did a lot of things as well with the staff by giving all staff, business staff uh, Fitbits. So we could c- create this corporate wellness program that Fitbit could then go ahead and sell to other companies, right? I think a jersey patch in the NFL would be kind of like what naming rights are right now for stadiums, for NFL stadiums. Like it would be a pretty big deal and it'd be very prestigious to, you know, have my name behind a certain partnership that is tied to like a a jersey patch for sure. What's been your favorite project to work on since joining the Niners? Oh, favorite project. I would say, you know, for my favorite project was a partnership that we worked with, uh, with Encode. Uh, Encode was my first kind of partnership that we did, that I did here. And um, they're great partners. They are biometric company based out of San Francisco and you know, they had a very big uh, presence in Mexico as well. Um, they were technically started in Mexico and then brought the headquarters up here. But we essentially had them buy into a number of different Mexico activations. So, for example, for the playoffs, we did uh, a couple watch parties where Encode was a presenting partner of... Um, uh, of those of those watch parties down in Mexico City, and it was great because they have a huge employee base out there, and they also um, you know, are a partner of the uh, Mexican soccer uh, national team there. Um, so it was just a lot of great alignment and um, some some awesome stories to tell that came out of that one. You were talking about like earlier your process for pitching and. How do you come up, or like even when you said that if we have a cool video series, like you want it to make sense, what partner is on it? How do you go about finding companies that you want to pitch? Yeah, that's um, it's different every single day, right? Um, my fiance knows I'm very notorious for you know whatever sporting events or even just like a festival or something. Like I am on my phone on the first five to ten minutes and writing down every single potential partner that I could see. Sometimes when I'm driving down 101 or 680 and I see a billboard, I'm like, oh, I've never seen that company before. Let me like dive into them and reach out to them, right? Um, the easy way too is to look on Sports Business Journal and see like, hey, who did X deal with X company and um, you know, kind of reach out that way, but you're kind of late in the game when, when it gets to that point. So there's a number of different factors and like even another factor too is sometimes what happens is, you know, we keep, like 
we keep on top of business trends, right? So we saw about a year, year or two ago, crypto companies started doing a lot within sports, right? Because of how much money was in to cryptocurrency. And obviously with the crypto winter, it's different a little, it's, it's a little bit different now, but you try to stay on top of these business trends to see who are those companies that are going to emerge out of that certain industry. And then you try to target those industries, right? But again, it goes for me personally, and every seller is different. I, I try to lean on the alignment piece like a lot, right? Um, and just making sure that it makes sense from that foundational piece before even reaching out to them. I'm curious, how often do companies pitch us? I know one of our TikToks actually led to a call about a potential partnership. So I'm, I'm curious uh, how that, how often that happens. Yeah, it, it doesn't happen often, to be honest. You know, we're doing 99% of the outreach to different companies. There's a couple times where we get a company reaching out to us and saying, hey, we want to partner. We have an idea of what we want to do, which is which is great, but it's far and few between, far and few between. And a lot of the work has to be done, you know, by myself and my team to try to find those companies that are going to just try to do business with us. So I see you got your bachelor's in kinesiology from SJSU. What did you think you wanted to do in undergrad? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, it is a uh, kinesiology, but it's an emphasis in sport management. Uh, but going back a little bit, I actually declared a major in business management with a minor in music theory. And the reason why I wanted to do that is because I was making beats in high school and I wanted to become like the next Dr. Dre or Pharrell. And I actually took a music theory class my first semester and I bombed it. I think I got like a D plus or something like that. And it just didn't really vibe with me. I had to, you know, I had to take a long look at myself and I was like, hey, is this something that I want to do? Probably not. So I ended up changing after my first semester to kinesiology, mainly mainly because uh, sports was a big part of my life. I loved, um, again, playing basketball. I learned a lot of life lessons from from playing basketball. I like tried to model a lot of my life behind Michael Jordan's like kind of attitude and, you know, never giving up and, uh, you know, always making things happen. Um, so I was like, okay, well, uh, I'm five, nine. I don't have that much athletic ability, so I'm not going to be playing in the NBA anytime soon. What else can I do in sports? And I figured I could work for a sports team. And that's how I ended up, uh, declaring, um, you know, kinesiology with emphasis, sport management. I also did a minor in public relations because I kind of wanted to see what social media was going to be all about. And we didn't really have like social media degrees or anything back then. Um, obviously, I'm doing a little bit something different now. But, um, you know, again, all good um, curriculum that I learned uh, throughout my time there. I will say, though, that at SJSU, I still had to take the same classes um, same core classes in kinesiology that the like the nurses um, majors had to take. So I had to take Bio 65 and Bio 66, which is intro to uh, 
anatomy and intro to physiology. And my intro to physiology class, that was so hard. I, like, I, I don't know how I passed it, but you could tell in the, I guess, in the group or in the lecture, like who was a nurse, <laughs> who was an aspiring <laughs> nurse, as opposed to an aspiring, you know, kin major because of how hard they worked or like how much they paid attention to even like study groups. Like I would never be invited to be part of a nurse's study group because they know that, you know, my degree doesn't hone in on, you know, getting an A plus in this class. Right. So yeah, that was a little tough. Um, haven't had to apply any of that knowledge now, but it's, uh, but it was a fun, it was a fun degree to work off of. And, you know, my, my advisor there, uh, Dr. Sonia Lilienthal, she's not there anymore. She was, uh, she was really awesome in terms of like trying to, you know, figure out how I could get into the sports world and, you know, was ultimately the one that I talked to at, uh, at graduation to set me in the right direction. I think this is a great example of like trial and error. I thought I wanted to minor in political science and I had to take econ uh, micro and macro, um, but the economic uh, department was like super impacted, like all the kids who want to major in econ. And so I also didn't do well in those classes. I got C's and learned quickly that I maybe I don't want to be a political science major. So this is a lesson in just like, this is how you figure out what you do, like what you want to do, right? Yeah. And like, you know, we're Asian. We didn't get like straight A's and like, look at us now. Like we're doing okay. Yeah. So. yeah. I mean, look, it's, uh, it's, it's wild looking back and you're like, man, I really wanted to be Dr. Dre. Like I really wanted <laughs> to be the next Dr. Dre and I had a lot of fun doing it, but like, like the whole, uh, I guess cliche of like life isn't, you know, like, uh, I guess, uh, like the graph that just keeps on going up. Like it literally goes up and down, up and down, up and down. And you want it to keep trending up, but there's going to be times where you just hit rock bottom and you have to just figure out how to go up from there. And, you know, I I don't regret any of my experiences uh, to this point in my life. Like it's, I look back and I, I understand that I'm very like blessed and I'm very lucky to be where I'm at. And there was a lot of things that had to line up for me to be in a job that I ultimately love and I love being here as much as I can. Like when you told your parents you wanted to be the next Dr. Dre or Pharrell, like how did they take that? They were very supportive. They've always been supportive in whatever I wanted to do, which is, which is, um, you know, awesome for me. And, you know, the, <laughs> yeah, I, I thank them all the time that like they were able to like, let me just do my thing and just kind of live through life and like figure out the ups and the downs. Right. Which is, which is a little tough, especially for someone like me where like I'm first generation for my family being here. And they obviously, the whole reason why they came from the Philippines to America was, you know, for myself and future generations to, to thrive in this country. Um, and I was, kind of like I don't know if like guinea pig is the right word but it's like you know I had to try to set the tone right and it's it's awesome that now they're like kind of bragging uh to other people about me because that this is ultimately what they wanted coming them coming to America do you have any advice to anyone who wants to get into the industry yeah um 
Definitely use your resources. That's the top thing that I say to even our interns that come through our department. You know, there's a lot of people that could help you, but they probably don't know that you need the help unless you ask, right? So making sure that you tap into your network and and try to utilize that network to open doors for you, right? Like going back to my story about how I got to the Niners, you know, if I don't make that fake assignment for Erica and reach out to her and, you know, say like, hey, I want to do an informational interview, I probably wouldn't have gotten that, that lead internship with the Santa Cruz Warriors and probably would have been in a different field. Yeah, so I'm always a big proponent of just making sure that, you know, make connections with people, utilize those connections, and don't be afraid to reach out. Um, even now, like, I, there's a, a couple people that reach out now and again that want to connect, and, I, and I'm more so happy to do it, but you'd be surprised how many of those people don't necessarily follow up with you after or, you know, try to apply for a job and they don't talk to you about it. And you're just like, I told you when I <laughs> was doing the informational interview, interview with you, like, I am more than happy to write a note on your behalf to to go to, um, you know, if you want to go to a certain team or get recommended for a certain job. So don't be afraid to do so. There's There's too many of us in the sports industry that have gone through a lot of internships without a lot of help, right? That like, we can't keep that cycle going. Like we all want to help in one way or another. Yeah, I think I was actually talking about it last night. The idea that I always felt like I didn't reach back out or like ask people to be a mentor because I thought it was an imposition. And now that I'm in a role where like I am the person being reached out to, you do that changes where you're like, no, like, please reach back out to me like I could have helped you and like you did not have to do all of the like hard middle steps that I did yeah and it's it's still wild to me that people don't there's there's definitely a, a couple in my network that have consistently reached out and I appreciate them and, and everything and you know they're doing great things and you know it's it's the sports world is a small little fraternity or sorority, right? Like it's a small organization. It kind of acts like a small organization because even if you're not working at a team or let's say like if I leave, like maybe I go to like the brand side or an agency where they are going to be working with a team later on in life, right? So it's all kind of interconnected. The question that we ask on the podcast, I think for every episode, and it's weirdly become my favorite question. Every job description has the last bullet point, other duties as assigned. Have you done something with the 49ers that probably you weren't expecting to do was not on any job description you read? Yeah. I mean, it's funny because even though I was an intern here back in 2013, and breaking down boxes and like moving stuff into like storage and stuff like that. There are times where I'm still doing that to this day. And there's times where you have to raise your hand to do so. Right. And, and it's, you know, you have to be pretty humble about it, but you also have to understand that we're not staffed like a, a normal like tech company, right? Like we don't have a lot of resources. So there are times where, you know, people will have to lean on me to, to move stuff around or like to help out with an activation, right? Um, and you have to go with the flow and you have to, you know, in the spirit of being a, a true team player, 
know, contribute in in in, a, in in those ways, right? So that is is one of the bigger things. As going back to your question, Patty, about you know any advice for the industry, like no job is too like small for you, right? And people have to realize that in sports, like. Uh, there's going to be times where, like, sometimes I even see Al or President or, you know, Brand or, or Chief Revenue Officer doing the same thing. So in terms of, like, breaking down boxes or helping package stuff, like, everyone gets their hands dirty at one point or another, and we're not all above it. True. Very true. Well, Nate, thank you so much for joining the podcast. This was fun. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> no, appreciate it. Uh, again, honored to, uh, to to talk here, and this was a lot of fun. Thank you.